so I, I, don't, I don't do that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not comfortable with that, and I've got to do this so I don't, run out, so I don't over, overtalk my time. Okay. Um, how many of you have ever considered a call to Azerbaijan? What about Tashkent? Mm, Syria? Afghanistan? Okay. Okay, so those places are kind of in a, the category where China was 100 years ago to Americans. Most people don't know where it was. But there had been a revolution. They had overthrown the emperor. And uh, there was hope for a whole different regime in China after 2,000 years of imperial setup. Okay. <coughs> and in the 1860s, there had been um, the beginning of Protestant missions in China. So the British were there, the French were there, there were Catholics, and so forth. But there was a Missouri Synod pastor slash professor at Concordia St. Paul. His name was Edward Arndt. He was 47 years old, and um, he kind of ran a bit of a foul of the system, as often happens. And so uh, he actually had uh, resigned, and he was interested in China. And he was convinced that China needed Lutheranism, and it needed Missouri Synod Lutheranism. So he wrote up a proposal to St. Louis uh, proposing a mission we already had one mission overseas that was in India, started in 1895, all right? So he approached Synod, 1913, um, and they basically said, we're not interested, we don't want to open a new mission field, we don't have any money, and they didn't say it, but they said, you know, you're, you're kind of questionable. So being a good Missouri Synod Lutheran, did he take no for an answer? So he went, to he went back to Minnesota, where he lived in St. Paul, and he started a newsletter in German. This is all auf Deutsch. And uh, corresponded with, with uh, churches in the synod at that time. This is 1912. And he found 700 congregations who would send him a dollar. Now, a dollar, that's about a day's wages in 1912, Okay. And from the, so they founded a missionary society, the Mission Society Fuhr China. So then they started calling for missionaries to go. And guess what kind of response they got? The same kind you gave me just now. Who in their right mind would pick up their family and go to China where there's no sanitation, health standards are way below, they're about 100 years you know, prehistoric in terms of transportation. There were no, there were no laned roads. You walked from, from village to village on a, on a foot trail. And if you had goods, you had a, a wheelbarrow. And that's how you transported things, except for the Yangtze River and the Yellow River. And there was one railroad line that went from north to south, okay? So after, after trying for six months to get a missionary to go, Edward Arndt says, okay, I'll take my wife and our four youngest boys, and we will, we will go. So they got on the Great Northern. They went to Seattle, got a Japanese boat, and ended up in uh, Shanghai, took the riverboat there up to Hankow. You've all got a map of China with you. Hold it up. You know, this is, right? Did you know that? 
This is also a map of the U.S. Here's Maine, here's California, here's Texas. That comes in handy. Okay, so in China, which is on the same latitude, okay, if you overlap a map of China and a map of the U.S., they're within 10% of being the same size. And they're on the same latitude. So St. Louis ends up being about where Hankow is, and that's where Arndt established himself. It was called the Chicago of China, the one train line going this way, north to south from Beijing to Hong Kong, and the one major river, the Yangtze. If you've got that line in the middle of your hand, that's the Yangtze. All right, so smack dab in the middle of your palm is Hankow, and that's where he started. So he takes his wife, who speaks only German. He speaks German and English. He learns some Chinese on the boat from a Japanese man. <laughs> within, within three months of, of getting to Hankow, they found a place to live behind a bakery. He rented a storefront. He put up a sign about school and education. The Chinese were anxious to educate their kids because the whole system of education had changed. And so he attracted some students, boys and girls. Now, this is unusual because Chinese didn't educate their women because women were only good for making boy babies. So that's another whole story. But anyway, so Arndt took the, the approach that Martin Luther did, you know, educating women to be good mothers as well as uh, men uh, for service in the church. So he did this for two years. And uh, they tried. They, six other calls were extended now that he had this thing going, and nobody would come. Until 1915, a Springfield seminary graduate accepted the call. He got a call right from, you know, Edward, or Erhard Riedel, China. That was a call day, all right? So, what's your name? Alex. All right, so Alex so-and-so, Tashkent, Russia. Okay, very good. You know, well, he was all, you know, he, nobody had thought about it. Nobody knew there was a China mission because it was only Arndt, okay? So he ends up uh, going to a, a wedding, one of his seminary friends, and uh, he met this girl, and she said, well, send me a postcard when you get to China. And his friend said, you know, Carmelia, maybe you should send her a postcard before you go to China, you know? So he goes back to Lincoln, Illinois, sends her a postcard. Three weeks later, they were married, and she went on the boat with him. And they made eight babies, and he lived there. He lived in China until 1971, from 1915. Off and on, he was China missionary for over 50 years. Um, so to, to advance this story, two years later, 1917, they still can't get anybody else to come. And so they're financed by this society. People are giving $100 a month back in Minnesota. And so he approaches the Missouri Synod. He said, here's, here's the mission, lock, stock, and barrel. We've already got a self-supporting system. We've got four schools. We've already got 200 students enrolled. We have two congregations. And... It took a while, but Synod finally accepted it. So 1917 is when it became a Missouri Synod mission. So that's four years of this guy working on his own. All right, 
That's a significant piece to remember, okay? So what did he get when he became Missouri Synod officially? He got the call system, okay? So there were 55 more missionaries over the course of the next 30 years who were called to China, to the China field. This is mainland China, okay? This is the time when there's civil wars going on, when the Japanese occupied, when the World War II was happening, when there were floods and famines and all that kind of stuff, okay? I forgot your name. Jeremiah. Jeremiah is in call service. <laughs> he gets this call and it says, Jeremiah, Hankow, China, you know? Well, he's got a girlfriend back in wherever it is. And they're gonna get married, right? So he sends her a four-word telegram after call service. It says, to China, buck up. <laughs> and to the credit of these, these 55 people who over the next 37 years accepted that call, nobody turned it down. One of them had to, had to fight tooth and nail with his mother to let him go. Okay, these should all feel familiar, by the way. Okay, and it's not just China. You know, you might get a call in Enid, Oklahoma, and you know, the point is, <coughs> at least in in my understanding of this, is they took this and they ran with it. And each one of those guys, then after doing Hebrew and Greek and everything else you do at seminary, then they had to learn Chinese. Okay, which is not an easy process. And they were promised a year of language school, but most of them, after six months, they needed them out in the schools and in the congregations. And so they kind of got schnookered on, the, on a full uh, official learning program of, of Chinese. But they, and some of them became very good scholars in Chinese. And as, uh, as often happens, some of them became extremely dedicated to the Chinese people. Um, and China was a mess. You know, if, if you think what's going on today is, is confusing, it, it pales with what was happening in China. They had a flood that was 300 miles long and 60 miles wide. The part of China where they were in is like central Illinois. So the waters just went. The, the only thing that people could live on was the railroad embankment. Well, one of our missionaries in Hankow ended up being in charge of the, the rescue efforts, 1931. His name was Herman Klein. And so for six months, they organized all the bakeries in town that were on the second floor, because the first floors were all underwater. And they baked 10,000 buns, and they put them in boats, and they, they distributed them to these refugees that were on the, the riverbank. And in six months, the water started to go down. The government wanted those people to go back. And... Uh, so the missionaries had a, a baptism uh, ceremony. They had, they had also built tent, or we call them mat sheds, woven straw walls, schools. They saw what needed to be done, and they did it. This is the bottom line. So they fed them. They got a bun a day. They had to show their paper from yesterday, and that meant that they were entitled to get a bun today. And the kids went to the school, and they got baptized. And then they lost the list when these people went back up, up the river. And so for two years, they didn't uh, have any way to kind of, you know, follow through. And then somebody found the list. And so one of the missionaries took his wife and his two kids, and they moved into a Chinese house up in this 
It was about 40 miles away from Hankow. And for the next year and a half until he got tuberculosis, they, they ministered to these uh, students that they found. Well, I'm telling you this story because I was in China three years ago, and we retraced the steps of the mission. We went to the seven places where we had mission stations. I don't speak Chinese, but fortunately, Hank Rowald, who was along, did, and two other Wisconsin Synod, uh, Lutheran missionaries who are in China. So we rented a van, and now you can do that in China. You don't have to check in with anybody. You don't got to sign any new papers. You can just go. So we went exploring, and we found a three-self church in a town where we knew that there had been some activity from the Missouri Synod. You know, we're talking, and the, the Chinese word for Missouri Synod Lutheran is Fuyin Dao Lo Da Wei. It means uh, good, good sound doctrine Lutheran society. So Fuyin is like happy news, good news, gospel. All right, so Fuyin Dao Lo Da Wei. So um, Hank is talking to these people, and he's talking about the Fuyin Dao Lo Da Wei, and somebody says, Oh, you should talk to Mr. Lee. So he's out in the village someplace, and this little rickety man. And w when we went there, Hank introduced himself, and he said something about Fuyendao Lodawei. This man named the missionary who had baptized him in 1936. So you can't say that the efforts of anybody doesn't pay off. We never know where it's going to go. Never. And if you get anything else out of today, I want you to remember that. One person makes a difference. Don't ever think you're insignificant. And don't ever think you can't do it because you've got more power behind you than you. And you never know where it's going to go. We had a missionary who tried to start a hospital, and he wrote back to the synod. How am I doing on time, by the way? Because you, you have to cut me off. Um, this missionary, he went over. His wife died of diphtheria within six months. He stayed and uh, served a seven-year term. He came back. He married a woman who had gone to the Lutheran School of Nursing in St. Louis. They went back. And she started looking at the medical things that were going on in the, a very remote area where they were living. And uh, the, she started a clinic. And that led to starting a midwife school because midwife practices were terrible. Women were dying when they shouldn't after childbirth. So they started training nurses. Well, they sent a letter off to St. Louis. We want to start a midwife school. St. Louis said, eh, we're, not in this, we're not in the midwife business. You know, well, by that time, they'd already graduated a whole class. Because, you know, mail took a long time on the boat, okay? So the emperor is far away is one of the Chinese expressions. <laughs> Gee. <laughs> well, the same thing happened with this, this hospital. He wanted to do a hospital. It was World War II. They couldn't get medical supplies. I read in the, in the diary of this wife, they had one hypodermic needle. They had 50 patients, that, you know, and they were always full. And they used that one hypodermic needle for two and a half years. Sharpen it with an emery board. And by the time, you know, it was down to half an inch long. But they were making it. So, that place, um, I have a picture of my book. I've seen pictures of it, records and all this kind of stuff. 
And we were trying to find, is there any evidence of this still existing? And we looked at the map of the place, and the name was Yangwon, and we went to Yangwon, and there was a hospital at Yangwon. Big, huge, white, you know, 20 stories tall. And so we thought, well, let's go up there. So we drove there, we went through the gate, tried to explain why we were wanting to do that. We rounded the corner into the parking lot. Guess what we saw? That building is still there with its 1925 in German cornerstone. And they're using it as their offices. And this whole medical center has built around it. So the other piece of this story is we didn't know what was going on in China for 30 or 40 years. And we assumed Christianity was dead. There was no communication. Okay? The, the, the government made it pretty difficult, not impossible, but pretty difficult to be religious, whether you're a Christian or Buddhist or Taoist or whatever it was. It wasn't just Christians, all right? And then in 1980, Deng Xiaoping said, it's okay. And slowly people started to trust the government and they, well, maybe we can. And so people started coming out, you know, from their living room underground places. And whereas there had been about a million Protestants in 1949 when the communists came, there were 15 million, and now there are, by conservative estimates, 50 million Protestants. Some people will say as high as 80 million. So that's, if you do your math, that's about one-twelfth of the population of the country. That's more people than there are in the Chinese Communist Party. It's an exciting place. When you go to worship in a three-self church, you know you're with committed believers. And they got Bibles that are marked worse than a Baptist hymnal, you know. And, and you know, every, every, every service is to the walls, and they've got speakers outside, and there's a choir for each service because every choir wants to perform and so forth. So it's an exciting, exciting thing. Um, will be available in the uh, dining hall. And if you have some questions or you want to take a look at the books or get a brochure about it, I've got those. I thank you for your time and attention. As he mentioned, he will be in the cafeteria over lunch, so stop by and, and speak with him about uh, the God, about God's work in China. Um, we will continue with communal prayers, and we will skip the New Testament canonical after the communal prayers. Please stand. Well, we follow the format four, followed by your petition, and ending with, let us pray to the Lord, in which the assembly will respond, Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the gift of divine peace and of pardon, with all our heart and with all our mind, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the holy Christian church, here and scattered throughout the world, 
And for the proclamation of the gospel and the calling of all to faith, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy.